Amen. Hey, I'm Cameron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ Community Church. It's good to be with you all this morning. I want to remind you that uh, immediately following the service, we'll take about a 10-minute break, and then we'll have a congregational update just looking at how God has been good from the previous year, how he's being good at current, and how we hope for him to be good going forward. That'll take roughly about 15 or 20 minutes, so do want to encourage you to stay for that and participate in that. Uh, that is the reason for the screen that is yet to be used sitting off to my left. All right, if you would be turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, we'll be in verses 14 through 29 this morning. And as you're turning there, let me give the key truth that I'd love for us to walk away with this morning. It's this, is that Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper as an ongoing opportunity to address our doubts. Let me say that again. Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper as an ongoing opportunity to address our doubts. If you would, give your attention to the reading of God's Word. This is Mark 9, 14 through 29. And when they, being Jesus, Peter, and John, came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, being Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we step into this text, you may recognize that there's nothing about the Lord's Supper in this, which means that the key truth seems to be doubtfully worded. However, since we are in the sacrament series, what we are doing here is recognizing that you can make the argument from the greater or to the lesser. I don't think that the Lord's Supper is any lesser than the very presence of God, because as we recognize, there's the real spiritual presence, right? And so, just as Jesus deals with doubt in his person, so he does in and through his table. And that's what we want to pay attention to and recognize. And so, what I would like to do first is ask you a question. Uh, Where do you usually turn to address your doubts and unbelief? 
Please don't tell me the internet. But like everybody else, I'm, I'm like everybody else. I Google all kind of stuff, and amazingly, there are answers for lots and lots of things. Now, I don't usually go with my spiritual doubts. I, I've got a degree for that otherwise. But other things, medical conditions that I should probably consult an actual professional about, not look up, like if you look up skin rash of some kind, they all look the same. And you may be thinking, why would you look up skin rash? Let's not talk about that right now. But... We, like everybody else, oftentimes want to do the research ourselves, right? We don't want to turn to a professional and frequently make the mistake of reading a lot in one type of dis part of the discussion instead of broadly. And then we wonder why we end up concluding with the one person that we chose to read or the one strain of things that we chose to read, right? And so where we turn with our doubts and unbelief says a lot about what we trust and where our faith is located. So... I want to jump to actually the Westminster Larger Catechism question 172 because I actually think it is one of the gentlest answers to a question in all of the Westminster. It's actually wonderfully pastoral, and I want you to hear it before we even move on because it is uh, couched in the very person and work of Christ. The question is this from 172. May one who doubts of being in Christ or of being properly prepared come to the Lord's Supper. Now, if many of you have ever heard the table fenced really hard, you would think this is easy. No. But that's actually not true. Listen at what the Westminster encourages. And may you be encouraged. May I be encouraged by this as well. One who doubts of being in Christ or of being properly prepared for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Did you hear that? Properly prepared. Who, who among us, who of you has ever taken the Lord's Supper where you're like, man, I am so prepared for this today? I don't even, I, this is crazy how prepared I am. Who of you doesn't, at some point, if you hear, hey, these are some reasons you shouldn't take, you don't pause and go, well, I, I think I shouldn't. Right? All of us have doubted whether or not we should partake of the table. And there are some genuine categories with which you should not. Unbelief in Christ as Savior in full, that's different than wondering if you are in union with Christ. Do you understand? There really is a difference. For you to say that Christ is not Savior is a bigger deal than for you to wonder if you and your sinfulness could be loved by God. Or if you think that someone else is unworthy of the table, that, that you, are, you get to decide what God has not allowed you to decide, which is you would keep certain people from the table, well, you can't really take either because you're assuming a position that is not yours to take, Right? But for everybody else, listen to this. For the one who doubts of being in Christ or of being properly prepared uh, for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper may still have a true union with Christ, although he or she may not yet be assured of it. This is really important. And what it says next, I love, and many of you have actually heard me recount this in some form or fashion. Uh, it says, in God's accounting, such a person has this connection if he or she is properly moved by the perception of lacking it. See, some of you have come to me and said, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm in Christ. And I'll say, you may have heard me say, that, is, that actually assures me that you more likely are than not. Because people who actually care whether or not they are in union with Christ are not like my former radical anti-theist self who didn't want to be, right? And that's, that's an extreme. 
But for those who don't care, and it doesn't matter to them, well, that's a whole different category. For those of us who are wrestling at times, and I number myself among you, am I really in union with Christ? If I were, would I still struggle with these same sin patterns? If I were, couldn't I drive without cursing an entire lineage and group of people on the planet? If I were, wouldn't I be able to be just a better person in general? Well, that wrestling is actually worthy of assurance in Christ. And so, as the Westminster says, no, you, you actually have been properly moved by the perception. And, it goes on to say, desires to be found in Christ and to depart from iniquity. If, you, if that's you, continue to try to draw closer to Christ who's already drawn close to you. To actually mortify the sin that so easily entangles you that has you doubting who and whose you are. You understand? And so, it goes on. And uh, in this case, parenthetical note, because the promises are made and the sacrament is appointed for the relief even of weak and doubting Christians. Did you hear that? The sacrament is actually intended to provide some relief for those of us who are weak and doubting Christians. And I'm again going to say it. I number myself among you on more occasions than I'd like to admit. And it goes on to say, such a person is to bewail their unbelief and work to have their doubts resolved. And in so doing, he or she may and ought come to the Lord's Supper so that they may be further strengthened. Let me say it this way. The problem is not that you doubt. You understand? What, are we kicking over beer cans in the row back there? That'd be, that'd be kind of awesome, but no, you shouldn't do that. Uh, it's not that you doubt, it's how you doubt. Did you hear me? The problem is not that you doubt, it is how you doubt. It is where do you turn with your doubts. Now what's interesting about the story before us from Mark 9 is traditionally we have only noticed one doubter, the father. That is actually a mistake that actually loses the whole flavor of the story. The issue is everybody but Jesus in the story is doubting. Everybody. And Jesus deals with each of them in some measure of turn. All right? So the scene is they've just come from the transfiguration. He, Peter, and John, and James have come down. And remember, Peter, he wanted to build little houses up there and never come down. He loved the transfiguration and the fullness of the beauty of Christ in his glory so much. He's like, let's never return to the valley. Let it be here on this earth as it is in heaven. He didn't say it exactly like that, but that's, you get it, paraphrase. So they go immediately from all that glory to a bunch of people fighting about who has power, right? So as they come down, they notice there's the disciples who are entangled in a discussion with the scribes. And so the thing that they're fighting about is the scribes are saying, you guys say you're disciples, you got all this power and glory and nonsense. You can't even cast a demon out of this kid. And they're fighting back with them about why it is that might be. And if you notice, by the end of the story, the disciples are really beginning to doubt some things. Why couldn't we cast out this demon? Do we? I thought we had power. I thought we were somebody. I thought we were something. 
And the scribes were doubting whether or not they were somebody or, or who and whose they were, whether or not they were something. And that causes doubt as far as Jesus is concerned. The crowd is doubting whether or not there's any power in this Christ. What's the point? And so, as they're arguing, he asks, which is interesting. I love the way Jesus so often says the thing that's obvious, not so much for himself, but for the audience themselves, right? It's not that he didn't necessarily know. It's just he needed them to know and understand. And so he asks, what are you guys arguing about? And the father steps forward, if you notice, because he's the one who has the desire to see his son healed. And he says, look, I brought my kid foaming at the mouth and filled with a demon to be healed. And I, your disciples are supposed to be able to do that kind of stuff. I've heard tell of them being able to make these kind of things happen, and they couldn't do it. And the crowd's standing around, yeah. And so Jesus, you could read this wrong if you're not careful. You've got to be careful sometimes how you read Jesus' tone because it can sound a little bit like he's, he's like just come from the transfiguration. He's like, how long i got to be with these fools? That's not what he's saying. What he's actually saying is he's recognizing how far yet still their faithful understanding of who he is and who they can be in him. And he knows his time is short. And he recognizes, and it's not that he doesn't believe the Spirit can do many things after him. It's actually out of love because he recognizes he may not have enough time to get them all the way there to understand fully who and whose he, they ought be and what he's about. And so he recognizes that he's, he's got to be careful with his time. It's short. He's human, after all, and bound by time. And so he says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? This is not a desire to get away from them, right? Because he's going to be with us for an eternity. And, and we who at times are numbered among the faithless, even as we come to the Lord's table, uh, doubting who and whose we are, what does he do for us up in heaven? He's interceding. He's saying, Lord, help them. He's saying, Holy Spirit, who indwells them, remind them of who and whose they are. He says to the angels, go and do and minister to them. Yeah, I said angels, reform folks, relax. It's in the Bible, right? Sometimes you entertain them unawares. That's what Hebrews tells us. If you go trying to figure out if you've entertained one, well, you've missed the point, right? And so the point is that he is interceding even for us now. So it's not like he's trying to get away from us because he is in a sense, stuck with us. We're family. And so it is really more a desire to see them get it in real time instead of taking any more time to struggle under the weight of shame and guilt and doubt. And he says, how long am I to bear with you? Notice what he says. He doesn't tell them, get away from me. What does he say? Bring the boy to me. So they do. And he immediately noticed, and now we'll get into this. We're actually going to do the Gospel of Mark starting, Lord willing, next Advent. So I don't want to give it all here. But a big part of Mark is all of the evidences of who Jesus is as king. And so one of the things that you'll notice through the book of Mark, there's a lot of demon stuff in Mark, and the demons believe and tremble. Notice the demon might be the only person or thing that doesn't doubt. He knows who Jesus is. So he knows his time is even shorter because the boy's been brought to Jesus. And he knows what Jesus will do. He's going to heal him. 
So he begins to convulse. He feels, I've got to kill him now. If I don't kill this boy now, then I have failed as demon. And so Jesus allows a little bit to go on. And notice, he even asks this question. You may be thinking, Jesus, get to it, man. He's like, how long has this been going on? Jesus is trying to draw the Father to him because there's a lot more that needs to be said. And he says from childhood, and this thing's been trying to kill him for a long time. Throws him in the fire, throws him in the water. And the the Father's heart is broken. As many of you as parents know know this, not that our children are demon-possessed. We do wonder sometimes, we've got to be honest. right? Might be an easier explanation if you could just cast that booger out and have a sweet kid. But that ain't how it goes. Uh, and so, so notice the father's heart here. He doesn't give up on his son who's demon-possessed, and this has been going on for a while. And you may recognize, this sounds like he has a seizure disorder. Well, whatever demon possession manifestation there is, it has to still yet be physical, right? Because it's dealing with a physical body. Doesn't matter the means by which it comes or even the ultimate explanation. Either way, there clearly is a demon here. Why? Because one comes out. That's not the explanation for every medical concern, my rash included. (laughs) And so uh, he asks for compassion. He says, if you can do anything. Now notice what he didn't ask for. He didn't ask for complete healing. He sounds like us a lot of times, doesn't he? Well, we're asking, as good Reformed folk, Lord, in your sovereignty, if it be your will to kill me with this rash this day, I will accept the stroke from thine hand. But if not, O oh Lord, and you choose to heal me, I will testify before the assembly. <laughs> right? That's a good reform prayer. Uh, but a better one would be, heal me, O oh Lord. Heal me, O oh Lord, for your glory. And I know you can. And I know if, if you choose to, amen. I, he don't need qualifications from me or you or anybody else. Too often we waste our time on theological obfuscating qualifications, which if that's how you pray as a Puritan, that's fantastic. You do you. But what I am telling you is you don't have to run through the list of possibilities in order for Christ to answer you. You don't have to, understand, you don't have to go ahead and accept all of what could be because you're afraid if you put yourself out there and actually ask him for something good that he's just going to take pleasure in doing you harm. It's not how he works. Notice the the compassion of Jesus here. He even takes this uttered prayer, which is half-hearted, and not recognizing of the man that stands before him, the king who stands before him who can heal. And he says, and again, you got to be careful. This isn't like Jesus is mocking him. If I can. No, he says, if I can. Greater than what you've asked for, I can do. And, and, and notice, he's not putting the emphasis here on if the Father were to believe, then that's where the power comes from. No, the Father is to believe in the Heavenly Father and what He has come to do in and through Christ. Too often, I think that we've accepted a, a stoicism or a, a, a fear of suffering or something that, that causes us at times to act like God hasn't come into this world to heal things. To bring reconciliation, as we talked about last week. To, to, to actually make things in places better. Right? 
There is a sense in which that we as Christians, as we aggregate together, the place ought to get better. Tim Keller, when he was alive, used to say, if your church left the town tomorrow, would anybody care? I think that's fair. I don't, I kind of, I don't know. Um, we've tried to be sweet, uh, uh, but, but hopefully it would. And I know there, there would be some impact from Christ Community Church for the ways in which you've loved people. I know that the folks uh, at, at Legacy or Heritage, whatever the name is now, they would be deeply affected if this church ceased to be tomorrow. And Robbie and Sonia and all those who go didn't go anymore. They would be deeply affected. I know the women's extension would be affected. I know that the First Care Women's Clinic would be affected. Many of our neighbors would be deeply affected if we ceased to be tomorrow. And amen. I'm not bragging, but I'm proud of y'all in, in a humble way. Uh, and so, so this is important that we recognize what God has actually come to do. Instead of us just mining the store in some half measure until Jesus comes back. Right? Yeah, I get it. We're hearing of wars and rumors of wars. And financial problems, there's a lot to be afraid of. But we serve the king that Hebrews 2 admits, even though it doesn't look like he is reigning right now, he does reign, and we know he does. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, all caps, maybe some exclamation points. And we ought to live like it. And so Jesus responds, and after uh, the, the, the crowd comes running and the boy, the, the demon's trying to kill the boy, Jesus takes care of it. And notice the doubt continues. All right, great. Cast him out. Kid's dead. How's that better? At least you got to enjoy him between the foam and at the mouth stuff. Right? As if Jesus is not the one to bring newness of life and resurrection. And the, he, notice what he does. No magic, no nothing grabs the young man's hand, and he arises. Now notice, not a whole lot gets said. People are like, huh, all right, okay. And the disciples pull him aside and are like, hey, how come we couldn't do that? I mean, you know? And notice what he says. Notice what he says to him. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You must be dependent on the means of grace for anything to happen. This is not about what's in you. He's dealing with their doubts and turning them to the means of grace. Notice when the father hears him say what he can do or, or in what measure he can do, he says, you need to, you need to I want to believe, but you've got to help my unbelief. I want to believe who you are and what you can do, but I need your help. How often do we pray that even? How often do we have the courage to pray to a God who longs for healing and reconciliation and will make all things new and longs for it to be on earth as it is in heaven, who, who actually is, uh, loves us and wants good for us? What kind of father gives their child a snake when they ask for bread? We're not praying to that God. We're praying to the God who longs to give good gifts. Now, you don't control him. You don't get to decide. But you can pray with a confidence knowing that he will answer to that end, even if you don't understand it all the way. And even if you don't like the timing. Because I'm sure, think about it, you're the parent in this situation and your child is being convulsed by this demon what looks like one last time. Wouldn't you be going like, hey, hey let's, let's quit with the Q&A here. Let's just get to it. How about that? Right? And Jesus takes his time. Because he knows I am master of these things. I don't have to be in a hurry. 
And so this is, uh, uh, in a sense, points us to him turning us back to using the means of grace to deal with our doubts, right? The Lord's Supper is a declaration each time that we have it that you, I, we are loved of God. And we need to hear that regularly, right? We do. We need to know that we are loved and that we matter. Many of you are getting chewed up and spit out through all kinds of things. We do too in pastoral, it's pastoral appreciation month. Y'all still got many weeks left <laughs> to love us well. It's a fake holiday. I can't even, I don't know who made it up. Probably Crossway. Uh, <clears throat> But, but it can be a thankless existence, can it not? And it, it, the, the world is hard. If any of you have been reading the news, it is insanely difficult to even, for whatever you may think about what's going on, to think that you could be in your home. And overnight, that's no longer your home. And everything you knew might very well be gone. And everyone you know may either be dead or a bargaining chip in a war that just erupted. Not just erupted, let's be Clear, it's been going on for a long time. Not to mention all that goes on in our own lives, right? There's much for us to doubt whether or not God loves us. And yet, we have the table to remind us, no, I do. I did when Christ was crucified and your judgment was declared where you were rendered essentially not guilty before my throne. And not just not guilty, but son or daughter of the God Most High. And then further, that he would rise from the dead to grant you newness of life. I didn't just cast out your sin and shame as far as the east is from the west. He has filled us with the spirit of new life. And the table reminds us of those two realities every time we come. And no, we're not going to ever have it all worked out coming to the table. Should we prepare? Yes. We should, out of honor for the table and honor for ourselves. And part of your preparation, I want to encourage you, is to place your doubts before the throne. Whatever it is that you may be going through. Maybe you're wondering about dinosaurs. I don't know. The age of the earth. You may be wondering about whether or not uh, the future. You may be wondering about your value within things. Who knows? We all have things that cause us to doubt. We would do well to stop hiding and put them in the marvelous light of God. Because he says to we who sit in the doubt of darkness, come out. So, I want to ask you, as part of your preparation for the Lord's table, asking Jesus to help you with your current doubts and unbelief. If not, it should be. Make it part of it. This is where you can encourage each other, right? Uh, this is where we need to encourage each other. When, when someone expresses doubt or unbelief, we need to deal with it gently. As Hebrews 5 reminds me as pastor... And it ought to remind you as Christian that we are to deal gently with those who are doubting. Right? Romans told us that. But we are to deal gently with those who are foolish or wayward and doubting because why? You, I, are the same. We wander. We doubt. We struggle. We do some foolish stuff and call it wise. So we would do well to steward one another's doubts well so that we can be honest with each other. Think about the gift it would be if we were a community of people where we could, we could patiently uh, walk with each other through seasons and circumstances where we don't know exactly what all we believe anymore. 
or necessarily who we might be for a season. What a gift it would be to us and to the community for us to be those kind of folks instead of taking someone's doubt and making it an accusation. Instead of taking someone's doubt and making them feel like they're the biggest doofus in the world forever questioning whether or not all those animals could fit on the ark and not eat each other. And where did the mosquitoes come from? Were they on the ark too? Because that's post-fall. I've got to think. They, maybe they hovered above. The, maybe the water was the whole problem. That's where they came from. I think I just solved my own problem. You're welcome. <laughs> so Mark 9, 14 through 29 gives us the great assurance that the Lord's table is an ongoing opportunity for our doubts to be addressed and for us to be ministered to uh, in our doubts. And I hope you will recognize in that Westminster question that might be something you would return to to help you prepare. Hear the gentle pastoral tone that it calls for. If you're wondering if you are, well, you most likely are. If you could care less, well, that's a whole other problem uh, and one we should, should talk about at some point. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we have a song. We'll have some announcements and benediction. We'll take a brief break and then come back pretty quickly uh, to do the congregational update. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us. You recognize that we are but dust. You understand that we are going to struggle. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. How could we not struggle? How could we not doubt at times? And yet, Lord, help us recognize that it's not that we doubt, but how. So would you, would you help us mature in using the means of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to have our doubts addressed, to be reminded of who and whose we are so that we would more fully understand how deeply we are loved so that we could better love you and better love our neighbors. Thank you that you give us the Lord's table as part of that banquet of the means of grace. May it be unto us an opportunity to have our doubts addressed, have our doubts uh, mortified, have our doubts uh, be acknowledged that they don't have the final say. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.